You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. The name Alice Cooper is synonymous with a stage show that featured guillotines, electric chairs, fake blood, and boa constrictors. His theatrical brand of rock music grew from horror movies, vaudeville, heavy metal, and garage rock. I'm telling you, this one-of-a-kind shock rocker's career has, I think it's spanned like five decades now. However, Alice has a faith, a genuine spiritual journey, which many seem shocked to discover. Uh, he went from Ferraris, Blondes, and Switchblades to family, faith, and philanthropy. Say that three times fast. And please welcome the Captain Hook of Peter Pan Rock and Roll, the real prodigal son, the original shock rocker, the one and only Alice Cooper. Hey, Drew. How are you, man? You know, I keep thinking, I heard the ad there you had for um, for uh, Preacher Idol. <laughs> You've got to call Meatloaf. <laughs> Meatloaf, is a, he, he's a Pentecostal preacher. I'm almost sure he is. Seriously? Oh, man, that would be good. As long as we have the oxygen backstage, we'll yeah, be good I'm to go. Yeah, I'm telling you, I've done tours with him, and he does his show the way that you'd see a Southern Baptist hellfire, you know, preacher. That's wild. <laughs> that is absolutely wild. I don't man. know what his face is, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Hey, listen, I'm sorry to go right to the whole given name thing, Alice Cooper, Vincent Fern, you know, but do you, I mean, do you use it often, like with your buddies or kids or family or, you know, golf buddies or... I mean, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I legally changed it to Alice Cooper so I would own the name, but I mean, that was like a, you know, a legal thing we did like 1975, I think it was. So, so do people call you Alice or Vincent? Or, or Coop. Or Coop. Everybody, most of the guys that I play golf would just say, hey, Coop. Right. You're up or whatever. That's what Pat uh, Boone calls you. He was on my show a couple of years ago. That's what he calls you. Yeah, he calls me the Coop. Yeah. Uh, which, it, you know, that name actually came from um, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx, uh, used to, I used to know Groucho pretty well. And uh, he used to know Gary Cooper, and he's called Gary Cooper Coop. So he says, I'm just going to call you Coop. Perfect. So that's where I <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's where Coop came from. Your father and your grandfather, both pastors. Yeah, my grandfather, uh, evangelist and, and missionary with the Sioux Indians uh, during the 30s. When you talk about abject poverty. Wow. And then my dad, uh, 25 years out with the, the uh, Apache Indians in uh, San Carlos. I spent a, a lot of my time in elementary school and high school on the weekends out on the San Carlos Indian Reservation with my dad and family. That would be very cool. Oh, it was great. You know, yeah. it really was, because when you're a kid, you know, and this is, this was in the 60s, it, they really were, I mean, it, really poverty. It was just unbelievable. And my dad went through so many crazy things out there when it came to, you know, there was still a lot of tradition and a lot of uh, Indian folklore, even with the Christians, yeah. even with the people that were really staunch Christians, they still had a hard time letting go of, you know, the spirits. Speaking of letting go of the spirits, what denominational baggage did you grow up with? Uh, you know what? It was sort of an uh, it was it was a, a, a church that was pure Bible, um, and they did believe in the Book of Mormon, not as 
not like the Mormons, though. I mean, they were totally didn't uh, the the, Mor- the Mormons, as far as they were concerned, really didn't didn't read the Book of Mormon. They really kind of read the Pearl of Great Price. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Book so, of Mormon is like the least read book in the world because it's so stinking confusing. I can I tell you what I can sit and ask. You know, I mean, I did study the Book of Mormon because that's you know what they they saw it as a um, the, the the history of the American Indians. Uh, that was what how they saw it. Right. And like I would sit there and I would I'd have Mormons come to the door, you know, and everything, and I would I would name three or four prophets from the Book of Mormon, and they wouldn't even have any idea no. what I was talking about. No. no. And you're, <laughs> you're, now your wife's dad is also a, a Baptist pastor. Baptist pastor. Gee, buddy, you're dead meat, man. You I, just I'm, you can't I, get PK, away from this. Married now. a PK. <laughs> oh, um, and so I mean, you know, it was uh, yeah, but you know what? That was exactly that was God's design. You know, I mean, I I'd been out with a lot of different. You know, women before that, you know, I mean, I lived in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So, uh, but when Cheryl came along, it was never a doubt in my mind that she was going to be my wife. Well, you've always been known as a fairly intelligent person, and I think that's evidence just in the fact that you married Cheryl. Yeah, well, uh, you know, by far, 32 years now. Yeah, Good I on. can't think of the last time we had an argument. We just don't argue. Oh, come on. I'm not kidding you. It's the weirdest thing. We Neither one of us are confrontational. It's like I sit there and she says, "Oh, let, let's do this," and I go, "Okay." <laughs> and she wow. says, well, "Let's," uh, and I'll say, well, "Let's do that." And she says, "All right." Wow. In other words, if I want to go see Alien versus Predators, she's all over it. They'll say, "Yeah, let's go." Oh my goodness! And then if she says, "Well, I want to go see the ballet," I go, "Okay." <laughs> oh, that's just wild, man! The marriage seminars—you got to get into that. I'm next. telling you. Well, you know, guys. Here's the thing. You know, in in all reality, guys need to be lawyers second and professional husbands first. Yeah. You know, I always tell people that. I say, what do, you, what do you do? I say, I'm a professional husband and father. I say, oh, yeah, I'm a singer. Yeah. You know, nice. and I, 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 yeah, they hang me every night, and that's fun. I said, but what do I actually do? I'm, I'm a father and a, and a husband first. Good for you, man. Good for you. That's, uh, that's quite impressive. You call yourself the villain of rock and roll, and, of course, filling a void in that fairly square genre at the time. But a lot of your theme, whether it was on stage theatrics or simply your lyrics, you seem to be warning people about Satan. So so back in the day, how can you be the true villain and then warn people about the prince of villains? Well, you know, the funny thing was, was that it, I never thought, I'd never even realized it. Um, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm Christian, and I grew up in the Christian faith, and I know who Christ is, I know who God is. I did. In the back of my mind, I knew that there was a point when I was going to have to give myself over to Christ. I just knew that. Um but it, I was avoiding it at all costs. Um, uh, and at the same time, when I was writing lyrics, all of that was coming out. When you're a lyric writer, you know, you're confessing a lot of things. And I, found, I started looking at my lyrics, and all of it was warning against satanic activity. Hmm. And all, all of it was always pointing towards Christ. I, I always said in the, in the thing, you know, whatever it is, you're going to end up answering you know, and people would go, well, that's a very theatrical thing to say. And I said, no, you, you're going to end up answering. You know, you got. it's like Dylan said, You got everybody's going to serve someone. Yeah, you got to serve somebody, yeah. You know, and I was saying the same thing, except that I hadn't made my decision yet. Hmm. You know, and when I did, then I went to my pastor here. I, I go to an interdenominational church that's a very strong Bible church. Uh, that whole, the whole Book of Mormon thing was, was, you know, when I was a kid, so I haven't even seen one for years, but I don't really worry about that. It's, it's the Bible that I that I spend all my time in. Hmm. And the, um, the thing about it was, I said, well, I've got to quit being Alice Cooper. And he said, why? 
He says, do you think God makes mistakes? And I said, no, I don't. I think he's incapable of making mistakes. And he says, well, look where he's put you. He's put you right in the, the Philistines' camp. <laughs> he says, and look who you are. I mean, you're Alice Cooper. You're the, the king of, of darkness here, you know. And I said, yeah. He says, well, what do you think it's going to say to everybody when all of a sudden you announce that you're Christian and, and you're still in the business? That sounds like a good challenge to me. Well, yeah, I imagine you must get tired of explaining to all the Jesus people how you're able to reconcile doing what you do. I mean, maintaining the same gory stage act, singing the same songs from back in the day when you were writing about necrophilia and a few other questionable themes. Like, how do you... How do you... A lot of those themes don't... I don't really do those songs anymore. I mean, I do Schools Out, 18, Billion Dollar Babies, all those songs that are the classics. I avoid certain ones. You I avoid you... certain songs that I don't... That I, I mean... There were certain times when I was saying back in those days, well, sex is okay, what's wrong with sleeping around? I, I certainly don't write that. I don't sing about that anymore because I don't believe that. So when you tour, you don't do Cold Ethel? Uh, I, you know, I haven't done Cold Ethel in a while, and if I do do it, I make it so funny <laughs> that it is. And, and at the time, it was written as a comedy. I mean, anybody that takes Cold Ethel seriously is really sick. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to remember, I have a very dark sense of humor, and I never wrote Cold Ethel as promoting that. I was, I was saying, look at how absurd this is. Yeah. You know, uh, my whole act is basically based on absurdities. Uh, but I, a lot of times, I, I, you know, if somebody gets really down on me, I say, look, if I were an actor, a Christian actor, and I did Macbeth, if I did Macbeth, uh, would that be okay? <laughs> And I said, well, sure, it's, it's Shakespeare. And I said, well, Macbeth is about, it's about a cult, it's about murder, it's about incest, it's about, it's, it's all the worst things you could possibly imagine. And that would be okay? Well, in the, in the Deep South, that maybe be okay. Yeah, yeah, and I would sit there and I said, you know, that, I don't know why that's okay, and, and what I do, which is comedy, isn't. Yeah. You know, and so I kind of, I just said, hey, let's not have a double standard here. If I can do my show and and make fun of, uh, in a lot of ways, they do make fun of Satan, you know, yeah. which he's a, he's a target for me. I don't mind that. I'm not afraid of him. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I do warn other bands, though. I go, guys, what? be careful who you're inviting in. Hmm. I said, you know, when you're inviting Satan in, you're, you're opening the door. I said, you've got, you, you got to be very careful about that. Well, there's no such thing as Satan. I said, that's the best trick he has is making you think he's not there. Well, a lot of my, when I do talking at churches and stuff, you know, I tell kids, I said, if you think playing around with this whole satanic thing is, I said, it's for real. You know, don't, don't, don't get it in your head that this just, uh, Satan is like Captain Hook or something. He's, he's the real deal. You know, in 73, Alice, you did an interview in Finland where you said you didn't listen to rock and roll music because if you listen to rock and roll, you can get influenced, and that's the problem with rock and roll. You have to make sure you don't get influenced by a lot of people that has too much influence over you. Yeah, well, I talk about musically. When I, if I sit and listen to too many bands, all of a sudden I start writing like those bands. Oh, okay. So uh, what I do lyrically, though, is I, when, I, when I speak to the youth groups, I go, okay, everybody, I want you to pick out your favorite song and write it down. And they all write down their favorite song. These are church, you know, uh, Christian kids. Yeah. I go now. I want you to think about the lyrics in that song. Okay. Uh, can you buy into those lyrics as a Christian? Hmm. You know, and uh, it's the first time that they actually sit there and they go, "Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. What did he just say?" Well, uh, you know, I said, "Yeah, you got to understand that everybody's preaching something. Madonna's preaching. Uh, Prince is preaching." Everybody's got a, a, a point of view. Bruce Springsteen, and most of the time, it has nothing to do with the doctrine of Christ. 
I said, sometimes it's just so stupid, it doesn't matter. Songs are just so dumb, yeah. but it doesn't matter. I said, but a lot of this stuff is is very purposeful, and and it's saying, you know, hey, you know, you're the boss, you're God yourself. I said that's certainly not coming from from the right spot. Even Burt Bacharach has has a, a message. <laughs> Burt Bacharach has a message. I just saw Burt Bacharach in uh, in uh, Hawaii. Did you really? I went out of my way to see him. I, I've always thought that he was the best songwriter, American songwriter of all time. That's classic stuff. Uh, <laughs> you've heard of a guy named Larry Norman, I think, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, well, Larry has this famous quote where, you know, he's on stage and he says, you know, I don't really, I'm not really convinced that, like, demons would go into albums and stuff, you know, because, like, what if they accidentally went into the wrong album, right? <laughs> like, what if they went into a Neil Diamond album? They'd be on the shelf for years. <laughs> well, you know, I, I love it when people say to me, um, you know, all this backward masking that you guys oh, yeah. do. Yeah. And I'll, I said, do you know how hard it is to record an album? Forward. <laughs> I said, I don't know anybody in the business that's smart enough <laughs> to do a backward masking. <laughs> you know, honestly, I said, oh, most of yeah. the guys in the business are, would rel- rather just get it straight the first time. Yeah. And I said, if I do any masking, it's going to be Bible verses, <laughs> or it's going to be drink your milk, or do your homework, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Honestly, I mean, people oh, could, you could play things backwards all day. Yeah, and, and hear and what you want. Find some sort of something that sounds like something and then turn it into something. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know Ozzy and I know these guys and trust me. Yeah, it's not. They're not. They're not. <laughs> well, now, the, uh, the only backward masking I do believe in is when you play country music backwards. You get your house back, you get your wife back, you and know. Your and your car, yeah, your yeah, truck yeah, comes back exactly. and your dog comes alive. Exactly. Again, which yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in that same interview, Alice, you said, I love making parents mad. I mean, that was 100 years ago, but did you have any say in what your kids listened to over the years they were growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, but I was kind of different, you know, because the kids all grew up in the church and they all grew up backstage. I didn't try to protect them from the real world, yeah. but I would challenge them with it. I would say, you know, the guy would come on, Slash or somebody, or, or Axel, and, you know, with, with all kinds of language, you know, and, and then they would leave, and I'd say, so? And the guy, they, they said bad words, and I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't expect to hear those words from you. Why? Because, you know, well, we're Christians, you know. Yeah. And I said, you know. Teachable moments. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, they're going to ask you, did you do drugs? And at that point, you're going to have to say yes, because you can't lie to them. Hmm. And, and was it good? Yeah, it felt great. Now, the problem is, is that nine out of ten guys that I knew died from it. Hmm. I said, now, that makes it really bad. And second of all, I said, you know, I wasn't Christian when I was taking those drugs. Right. I said, you are. So, I mean, there was, you know, there's points where you can't, you can't possibly lie to your kids or, they, or there's no reason for them to trust you after that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to tell them the truth and you have to tell them, yeah, that was wrong. I did that. Yeah, it was wrong. Because my life's pretty much, uh, you know, in a lot of people's books, you know, it's not like I, I had an invisible life. I was pretty, pretty in the, in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. And while speaking of having a positive influence on the kids... Uh, Allison, in '95, you and your buddy Chuck started the Solid Rock Foundation. That was, uh, the, you know, one of the the really important things that I still work on a lot now because it's something that's really, really going to change lives. We've been doing this for 11 years now. Last year, we decided it's time for us to quit being a foundation and giving money away, which we normally do. We give it to you know youth organizations, uh, Christian youth organizations. I said, let's now build the place we want to build. And uh, Grand Canyon University gave us land. That's hmm. a, it's a Christian university. 
and now we have a 30,000-square-foot building that we're uh, attempting to build now. Of course, I'm still, you know, getting money for it from, from everywhere. Uh, that's going to be a place where, a, let's say, a 13-year-old kid on the west side of Phoenix is coming home from school. He's got his books. He's going home to uh, dad's in jail, mom's selling crack, brother and sister are both gangbangers. That's a normal situation on that side of town. Really? And he's, he hasn't got much of a choice. His life is pretty much mapped out, unless he's got a place to go, unless there's a place that's going to be there for him where he can go and shoot some baskets, do his homework, and maybe learn how to play guitar, maybe learn how to play bass, maybe learn how to you know, uh, work lighting systems. Uh, it's vocational, and it's free. And it's all a bunch of Christian guys just going, look, we're, we don't want anything back from you. We're here because we love you, because we want to help you. Hmm. We're not telling you you have to learn Bible verses you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. But I think that our influence and I think that what we're doing is going to sink in deep and, and, and Christ is going to, you know, come from that. Yeah, it's incarnational. Yeah, and, I, and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they're kind of always going, well, what's in it for you guys? Well, there's nothing in it for us except for the fact that we're doing, I think, what, what the Lord wants us to do. Fantastic. Uh, the website for, for that, is it therockteencenter.com? Yeah, it's really yeah. You can go to this uh, website and it's it's they'll give you like a uh, a total uh, virtual tour or something. A tour through yeah. the whole place, and it, it's really uh, it's really magnificent. I went to Nashville to see um, I guess uh, was it Smith uh, has one down there. Oh, Michael, Michael W. w. Yeah, all right. Michael's got a place down there where they same idea except they do a lot of skateboarding and all this stuff, and it is. Unbelievable! I went there on a Saturday afternoon, and there must have been 200 kids skateboarding. There was another 50 kids doing poetry. There was a bunch of kids setting up for a concert, and it was all under under a Christian sort of banner. That's cool. Which I thought was really great. Yeah, yeah. As long as they don't play Friends or Friends Forever all the time down there. Yeah. That'll be fine. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I always tell people, I said, look, I, I don't do praise music. I no. said, I don't. I, I said, I'm a Christian that does rock. Yeah. And if you look deeply into my lyrics, you're going to find a lot of theology. So you're not going to come out with a worship CD then, Alice? You know, I'm, I'm 60 now. Who knows, <laughs> you know, if that's what ends up uh, me doing, I don't know. But right now I think it's kind of, I like to tell stories. Yeah. And I think those stories end up pointing in the right direction. Your charitable work with Solid Rock has probably, I don't know, I would say it's probably brought you a little more fulfillment than when you chipped in a few grand for the saving of the Hollywood sign. Yeah, well, that was... You know, and that was a total purposeful publicity stunt that we did, which was great, and it worked. You know, um, was that I mean, it? Was that in memory of Groucho? Yeah, it was like twenty-seven thousand dollars to buy a letter, <laughs> and the letters are six feet. They're six stories high. That's you don't letter. see that when you're looking at it on the thing, but you get up there. That that those letters are the size of a building. Those letters are so big they'd intimidate Vanna. That's right. They're huge. I'd like to buy an O, please. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Groucho Marx, here's a quote. Alice is the last hope for vaudeville. Well, you know, I, I always hoped that people would see the sense of humor in what I did, and I think it took 20, 25 years before that they figured out that the horror and was all based on comedy. I mean, uh, I, I see that there's like, uh, that there's a, a, the two can be in bed together, horror and comedy, and it can really work as long as you have a clever enough sense of humor to, to really make it work. You know, I mean, I, I know Marilyn Manson and, and these guys, and a lot of times I tell Marilyn, I say, you know, 
So the thing about it is there's no punchline to what you do. You know, I said, you, you, you do this horror, and you, and you keep people out there scared, and, and then there's no payoff. Hmm. You know, if you're, I think it's, it's okay to scare people to get that, that sort of like I'm on a roller coaster ride as long as you bring them back safely. And as long as there's a punchline where people people can go, oh, I get it. Yeah, you know, you you've had some amazing endorsements from people over the years. Uh, did did Bob Dylan really call you the most underrated songwriter in the history of rock and roll? You know, he shows a lot of taste. <laughs> this Bob Dylan fellow. Uh, yeah, I, I and the funny thing is, I didn't really I didn't really know Bob Dylan. I never even knew that he had ever heard of anything I'd ever done. So that was really a a great compliment to me. You know, the other great compliment was they asked Tiger about celebrity golfers, and he says, "I wouldn't give Alice two a side." <laughs> That's me, huge. That's was huge. Like a great, great compliment. <laughs> now, the reality is, he could give me ten a side. Wouldn't make any difference. And still kill me. Yeah. You still shooting a four? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's one thing that's uh, that's 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 very uh, you know Protestant about me is the fact that I play golf. <laughs> I don't know one pastor, one Protestant pastor that doesn't play golf. Oh, I know. I know. That's not bad. Shooting four for a sixty-year-old. But I play. I play every day. I play literally, you know, six days a week. I know. You're a junkie. Now, hold on. It's not fair to call you sixty, is it? Oh, sixty February fourth. I know. Like how many days away are you? Like is that uh, pretty is, soon? It's getting is, close. Is that weird? Yeah, and not not at all. You know, a funny thing is, is I'm in better shape at sixty than I was at twenty-five. Well, when I was 25, I was a wreck. You were wasted, man. I was like throwing up blood in the morning. Oh, that's, you know? that's nice. There's a visual I was hoping for. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's and and that's okay to do as long as you know you're on stage and people are seeing it. But <laughs> yeah. when it's in a Holiday Inn, you know, <laughs> you're oh, not getting man. any mileage out of it. No, what good is it? No, man, you've been doing this for is it over 40 years? Now? Well, I started in 1965. Huh. So you know, do the uh, High school. So, well, I'm at, on my 30th album. 30th album right now. What if your first band experience sucked so bad that you were forced to go back to Safeway? You know what? I never, ever held a job. I, I, got, I can honestly say that I never once had a 9-to-5 job, even when I was a kid. I, I was in a band when I was 15, and I've been in a band ever since. <sighs> now, I didn't realize at the time that it was going to be so hard. I mean, it's work. When I go out on the road, I go out and I do seven months on the road. Um... I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm working usually from the morning till night because I'm doing interviews. Yeah. Uh, I've got my radio show I have to do, and I have to keep that 10 days in advance. By the way, that's sweet. Oh, thank you. The radio show is fun. And, and sometimes the funny thing about the radio show is a lot of times, I'll, uh, you know, you can win a pair of pants, you know, you can win a belt, and I'll give Bible questions, you know. And people just don't expect that from Alice Cooper, the yeah. fact that they have to go look it up in the Bible to see who did this or who did that. I love it. I love <laughs> it. You, uh, you were influenced by the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin, The Who, Kinks, Pink Floyd, Yardbirds. You, you went from the earwigs, who didn't really know how to play any instruments, to the spiders, to the Naz, to Alice Cooper. I mean, is there a cringe factor at all when you look back at any point in your career? Oh, any, no, any, yeah. any regrets? We worked harder than anybody. I mean, we started out being just the worst band in the world. <laughs> And and then got up to the point of being as good as anybody. I mean, we played with Led Zeppelin, and we we were as good as they were. Yeah. I mean, musically, um, man, because you can't fake it when you get on stage. You're you're either good or you're not good. And so if we spend ten hours rehearsing, nine hours are on the music, and one hour on the theatrics because the theatrics come pretty easily. But back in those days, 
we had to work even extra hard because, you know, we were just learning the instruments and learning. So we really had to, to work hard. You probably had to work exceptionally hard at learning how to play the harp. You know, that, that came so easy to me. I don't know why. I yeah. picked it up, and I started playing Beatles songs, you know, <laughs> uh, and Rolling Stone songs. And then pretty soon I was starting to play Paul Butterfield, which was really complicated. And I, I, I picked that instrument up and was, was playing it in probably a month. For those out there who, who still wear long, long shorts and dark socks up to their knees and are unsure how to change the oil in their car, we're talking about a blues harp. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Blues Harp. Okay. Absolutely. Coach Smith, have you kept in touch with your cross uh, country coach? You no, he's been he's about ninety now. Wow. From what I understand, he still runs. Come on. Yeah, he's uh, no, he was a he was a champion. In order to get on the cross country team, we were seventy two and zero. <laughs> I mean, we were like unbeatable. I was the seventh guy on the team, and I was running like four four thirty five four forty miles. I would have put me like number one on any other team in the valley. And I was barely made the team because there were guys running 407 in the mile. So we actually were unbeatable in the cross country. That's amazing. Did he not have an early influence in the whole stage prop stuff? Well, you know, we did all of our stuff from the journalism room. And he was, a, he was our journalism teacher. Right. So we did all of our theatrics. You know, we would sit around, we'd do our, our columns or whatever it was, and then I'd say, okay, we need to build a guillotine, you know. And he'd sit there and say, for what? And I'd say, well... Wouldn't it be great if a, you know, I always looked at it this way. Why shouldn't rock be theatrical? And at that time, nobody had ever been theatrical on stage. Nobody had ever done it. So we were way ahead of our time in that. You know, I said, everybody plays their instruments, but why not play your instruments and also be theatrical? You know, so we, we were like ahead of the curve, way ahead of anybody. You know, to save you having to answer this question for the gazillionth time, let me see if I got this right. You came up with the name Alice Cooper when you were watching Whatever Happened to Baby Jane realized just how scary Betty Davis was playing a child when she was yeah. like 90 years old with mascara smudged all over her eyes. Well, the idea was you always, you know, people were, were calling themselves, you know, the you know, the really horrific names, you know. And I was going, well, that's just the opposite of what we should do. We should have some name that's really nice. Some nice little old lady that plays, you know, organ in church, you know, Alice Cooper. And that the first name I said was Alice Cooper. I could have said Betty Franklin or Martha James or whatever, but the first name I said was Alice Cooper, and it just stuck. Uh, I look at some old footage of you with that makeup thing and the hair up in a bun, and dude, you were scary. Like that was just wrong. I'm telling. I I, I, I love was, your look now. I love it now. But that well, was you know, just that, at that period of time, I was in a lot of trouble. Were you? Yeah, I was in a lot of trouble physically, mentally, you know, abuse-wise. I was uh, just ready to, like I said, start throwing up blood in the morning. So I wow. was. That was at the. That was at the end of my. Uh, I, I pushed it as far as I could push it. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't always easy street for you, Alice Cooper. I mean, let's talk about the Cheetah Club on Navy Street in '69. Six thousand people leave the club while you're performing. And we thought that was great, you know, because we knew that we scared them to death. You know, I mean, you have to remember, all these people were on LSD. And we didn't, uh, none of us did any drugs. You know, it was, it was funny. We drank beer, but we didn't do any drugs. And so I'm watching 6,000 people running to the door trying to get out because I realized they, they, they'd never seen anything like this before. And we really did physically scare them. Now, the only people left were Frank Zappa my manager, Shep, 
and they all looked at each other and said, anybody that has that much power, <laughs> we've got to have. You, you know, Zappa says, I've got to have this band. You and Benny Hinn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the uh, at the Rock and Roll Revival concert, uh, September '69, uh, right here in a little place called Toronto. Toronto was what Toronto was like, uh, where we literally broke out of. Yeah, because uh, I mean, this sort of is reminiscent of that famous line from Arthur Carlson on WKRP in Cincinnati: "As God is my witness, I thought chickens could fly, <laughs> turkeys could fly, and I did. <laughs> you know, I, in all honesty, I wasn't from the farm; I was from Detroit. You know, uh, to me, if so, somebody threw a chicken on stage. And I just went, well, it's got wings, it's got feathers, it'll just fly away, you know? So I threw it in the audience, the audience tore it to pieces. <laughs> now, here's the kicker to that. The first five rows of the audience were all in wheelchairs. What? They put all the crippled kids up front. Wow. They, they were the ones that killed the chicken. You see, you, you are very different than Benny Hinn, because he puts them at the back. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they had all the kids... Up, uh, all the people in wheelchairs in the front. So after I threw the chicken in the audience, and I thought it would just, you know, somebody would grab it and take it home nice. as a pet, they ripped it to pieces. <laughs> and then I looked down and realized they were all in wheelchairs. And I went, that's even sicker than <laughs> that, I thought. That's wrong, man. <laughs> just, that's just wrong. That is horrible. Uh, did Shep, he was the one that brought the chicken? Uh, you know, he to this day... He denies it? He will not say yes or no. Oh. Because, I, well, I started thinking about it, and I started thinking, well, oh, no, wait. Who brings a chicken to a concert? Yeah. I said, you know, you, know, you bring your, your car keys and your wallet. <laughs> and let me see, I got my car keys, got my wallet. Has anybody seen uh, my chicken? I got my chicken. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Zappa told you to just, just take this rumor and let her go, right? Oh, just... yeah. He says, did you kill a chicken last night? You know, and I said, no. And he says, well, don't tell anybody. They love it. <laughs> You know, it was like right then you re I realized that we were going to be the National Enquirer of rock and roll. Oh, man. You know, we were going to be the sensationalism. Because, I, in all honesty, I under I totally understood why they would connect that up. Yeah. I mean, to them, I was like a, I was like a circus geek. You know, I was like this guy that, that probably would bite the head off a chicken. Yeah. Yeah, to this day, you know, I mean... Uh, you're still known. I don't for... know why a chicken would be worried about me when Colonel Sanders is. <laughs> He's a scary looking dude, he, like, man. He killed billions of chickens. You know, I, I, I threw one in the audience. <laughs> you you have had at least two seriously complex transitions in life. Uh, certainly, one going from uh, alcoholic Alice, the whipping boy for society, to the straight Alice, uh, sort of the dominatrix. Well, I, I treated Alice after that with a whole different uh, view. I said. This Alice, now that I'm not a slave to alcohol, I'm not going to act like a whipping boy. How do I portray Alice now? And then that's when I thought Captain Hook. Captain Hook had this elegance about him, but at the same time, he was, he was, you know, the, the villain. Yeah. And you can't have Peter Pan without a villain. You had to have, and rock and roll didn't have a villain. And I said, well, I'm gonna, tr I'm gonna now play Alice as a villain. You know, and it was infinitely more fun to play the villain. I mean, you know, playing the villain is so much more fun than playing the good guy. That's what my show is all about. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, if if, uh, if Britney Spears called you up for advice today, what would you say? Oh, man, I'd spend a good two hours with her. Uh, you know, the, the thing I think about Britney is that people don't realize that I think that there's some some real mental problems there. I don't think it's just drugs and fame. I think that there's she needs to be treated. I, I, I've got a feeling there's some bipolar stuff going on that needs treatment more than you know. 
even if she wasn't a rock star, hmm. if she was a waitress, she would be having the same problem. So I think that the sooner she gets into a real hospital with real people, and as soon as she gets somebody around her to say no, it's amazing how she many. She needs a strong husband, is what she needs. A guy yeah. that's going to stand there and say, hey, stop. You know, but right now, she, she's a bit of a spoiled brat, just going, ah, I can do anything I want to do. You know, well, I always look at it this way. Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, and Britney Spears, all yeah. in jail. Yeah. Alice Cooper, Ozzy Osbourne, Iggy Pop, <laughs> family men. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> all of us, neither, none of us drink, none of us do anything. You know. Well, you were good friends with Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison. You said in an interview that once that there's, there's not one major touring band that does drugs. Well, not anymore, of course not, because, I mean, you could never say that in the 70s. No. That was totally wrong. But the Stones are still touring. Yeah, Stones don't do anything. Really? Stones are out. They might have some wine, you know, but that's it. I mean, when you're doing something that's generating hundreds of millions of dollars, nobody is going to... Jeopardize uh, that. Jeopardize that. Same thing with any major band. If If you're looking at guys in the Foo Fighters, if you're looking at guys in Green Day... If you're looking at guys, and anybody that's out there on major tours, they may have some wine, they may drink a little bit on days off, but you're not finding any drugs because why would you jeopardize that? So are you saying gone are the days of Keith Moon, Hendrix, Morrison, Joplin? I think that everybody's learned their lesson at this point, at some point. And I know that if I'm going to put a guitar player in my band, first thing I ask is, I, I, you know, you know I've heard of you, this guy's a great guitar player. Yeah. First thing I say is straight. Yeah. And they go, yeah. And I go, how straight? Uh, he drinks beer once in a while. Okay. Yeah. No drugs, though, right? No. Okay. Give him a shot. Yeah. Didn't you open for the Stones recently? Yeah, we just did three uh, three shows with them, which was great. Uh, working with uh, the Stones was, you know, that's like, uh, that's something that, you know, when we were 15, we started out trying to be the Rolling Stones, and here we are opening for them. The great thing about opening for the Stones is we're still the young guys. That's hilarious. We're the kids. That's hilarious. I think Keith Richards should be a spokesperson for Botox. Well, I'm telling you what, Keith Richards defies every law of physics. <laughs> no, gravity works. Yeah, well, I'm, it's, I'm it's telling magic you, on. Uh, yeah, gravity is, is doing well. <laughs> but uh, when you think about it, 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 he's a medical miracle. Yeah, <laughs> an anomaly, you might say. <laughs> yes. Do you find that with a law of diminishing returns, Alice, that uh, it means you can't shock an audience today the way you used to? Oh, I don't think you even you even try to shock an audience anymore. You know, it was easy to shock an audience in 1970. Yeah. You know, because there was no internet, there was no CNN, there was nothing, there was no cable. You know, it was like straight network TV and, and AM, FM radio. Um, so you bring a snake on stage, call yourself Alice Cooper, and put your makeup on, you scared everybody to death. You know, but now, I mean, if you can be more shocking than CNN, well, good luck. Because, I mean, you know, uh, you put my, I put my head in a guillotine. It's a great trick. And it works with the show. It works with the storyline. But when you turn on CNN and there's a guy really getting his head cut off, yeah. then you go, okay, well, where's the shock in what I'm doing? So it's really not a matter of shock. And I've talked to, uh, with Marilyn Manson about this. You know, uh, it's more entertain the audience because you can't shock them anymore. Well, uh, last June, did you not do a duet with Manson? I did a duet with Manson. It's yeah. funny because I met him for the first time uh, backstage. And uh, he came into my dressing room. We sat down and we talked for maybe 15 minutes about marriage. Really? That's what we talked about. We didn't talk about movies. We didn't talk about anything. Uh, he knows I'm Christian. I mean, he knows, uh, you know. And I said, I, I'm very sorry to hear about your marriage. 
with he had just broken up with uh, Dita Von Teese. Right. And I just I said, you know, people probably look at that as being, oh, brother, you know, another publicity stunt. I said, but you probably, that's, you're probably going to be licking your wounds on that one for a while. And he says, yeah, he said, I was serious about the marriage. And I said, well, I said, I, I, I can understand that, and I, I'm sorry about it. I said, I really am sincerely sorry that your marriage didn't work because, you know, I told him I'd been married 30 years, 32 years. Never cheated. And, and never cheated, you know. And I keep telling guys in bands, uh, maybe it's not a good idea to marry a stripper because <laughs> you're out on the road, and what is she doing? She's taking her clothes off for strange men. Hmm. I can see how that might not work. Yeah, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Well, look, I, I, I guess you've certainly proved your critics wrong from the early days. They accused you of just being a gimmick act. I mean, gimmick is fine as long as it's backed up by good tunes. Uh, yeah, that's I, it. You have to write great songs. Uh, and, and I'll tell anybody that, any bands that come to me, I'll look at them and I'll say, wow, you got a great image. Uh, I can understand this. I can understand what you're doing. I said, let me hear the songs. And then I listen and I go, where's the songs? Yeah. I, I, I get it. You're angry. You know, I mean, they scream at me for 10 minutes. You know, and then I go, okay, I, I'm, I'm not hearing the songs. So you really do have to go back and write great songs. That is the that is the that's a linchpin of everything. Yeah, yeah. sure. You're, well, gimmicks without good music equals uh, Kiss. Well, and you're, first of all, you don't stick around for a long time. <laughs> well, Kiss was smart enough to get with Bob Ezrin. Right. Bob Ezrin, another Toronto boy, who produced us and produced Pink Floyd. Kiss got with him, and all of a sudden had a few hits because of the fact that you know they 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 were smart enough to say, hey, we need great songs. Let's get with somebody that can do that. But you're not a huge Kiss fan. Well, you know, they're friends of mine. You know, I mean, I, I always laugh with them. I said, when you guys can't think of anything to do, you just blow something up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm, we're, I'm doing a show with them down in uh, New Zealand coming up. Oh, are you? And they're old friends of mine. I mean, it's just, it's, it, I told them in the very beginning, look, as long as you don't copy my show, you're going to be okay. Yeah, we're good to go. I said, but, you know, it, it, the minute I start seeing my show in your show, people are going to kill you. <laughs> Because they're just not going to allow you to do that. I said, it's not going to be me. It's going to be the press that's going to kill you. They're going to bring a lot of chickens to your concert, man. That's right. So I said, stay away from chickens yeah. and guillotines and gallows and stuff, and you'll be all right. You know, I heard Petra sing a song, God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Yeah, that's an old Argent song. Yeah. Yeah. I had no. I had a little history on this, uh, because I think you did it on one of your uh, radio shows. You were talking about that song. And, oh, and I played it, yeah. I played it, and... and Kiss has done it, and... Yeah, Argent actually from the Zombies, Ron Argent. It was the guy that wrote that song. Hmm. Yeah. Have they, have they ever showed up at one of your concerts? That you oh, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we go to each other's shows. Who has showed up at your concert, Alice, that just kind of blew you away? You know, like you just you were so stoked that they would come to see you. Okay, so I'm standing, we're doing Welcome to My Nightmare, which was our biggest production. It was really like a Broadway production. That's where I met Cheryl. She was the ballerina during oh, one right, of the songs. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, I looked down, and Groucho Marx, brought uh, George Burns, uh, Mae West, Fred Astaire, and they're all watching the show, and none of them are shocked. Oh, my goodness. The whole audience is totally shocked, right, by what's going on. And these guys are looking at it and going, uh-huh, eh, I saw that before. I saw that in Toledo, 1923. <laughs> you know? And all these guys stood there, and they got it, and Fred Astaire dug the dancing. He saw the tap dancing skeletons and went, yeah, that's cool. You know, but they, they all were old showbiz guys, and they'd seen everything. And so all they were seeing was vaudeville hmm. to rock and roll, and they were totally, they totally got it. That must have just blown your head, though. Like you, you look down, you see them. Were you able to stay in the game? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, okay. Once you're on stage and you're in, in character, yeah. you know, once you become Hannibal Lecter, then you have to stay Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember the last time John Lennon flew you down to L.A. to get drunk with you because he got in a fight with Yoko? Well, he did that all the time. I mean, he was I was part of his lost weekend, you know. <laughs> uh, we had a club called the Hollywood Vampires, and we were a drinking club. And it was Harry Nelson and Mickey Dolenz from the Monkees and... Uh, uh, Keith Moon from The Who, and every we met, every single night we met at the Rainbow and just drank, and we basically wanted to see what Keith was going to come out at as that night. <laughs> you know, one night he would be the Queen of England, in full Queen of England dress, and the next night he would be Hitler, and the next night he would be, you know, who knew what, what he was going to be, you know. <laughs> That's nuts, man. The Last Temptation, Brutal Planet, Dragon Town. Would you say that those are your most sort of Christian-influenced albums? Is that fair to put that tag? I was so happy to walk into a Christian bookstore and see The Last Temptation. Because to me, it meant somebody had listened to it. Somebody got it. Somebody in the Christian world listened to it and went, oh, hmm. absolutely. Because it was definitely a parallel between Christ and the wilderness. you know. And, and a lot of it was um, the fact that I was making it... The whole story was about the circus comes to town. They offer this 13-year-old boy everything. Just join the circus. In other words, just become one of us, part of the world. And in the end, he doesn't. And they can't understand why. The same way uh, Satan couldn't understand why Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't uh, you know, jump off a building yeah. and have angels save him and wouldn't take bread and wouldn't, you know. So what my, my message was, was that Hollywood... And the pre is, is going to offer you everything. It's okay to say no. In fact, it's cool to say no. Hmm. You don't have to be that to be cool. And, you know, that was the whole message on that show. Well, we're just about done with our time with Alice Cooper. You have just given us a chunk of time. I so appreciate it. Uh, oh, no, not at all. That's great. It, it's great what you're doing, Drew, because, I mean, you know, a lot of times when you do Christian radio shows, you know, it's it's you're kind of walking on thin ice, you know. But I, I feel that you can, you know. I don't even know how understand to that we're human beings, we're Christians, yeah. and we we have all the problems anybody else has. I don't even know how to spell ice. <laughs> uh, Linda Blair, I keep thinking about people who've been messed up by by uh, participating in some deep, dark, evil, you know, job description. Uh, and you, there, you know, when I talked to her after she had done that movie, she said she didn't even know what the words meant. Really. You know, she was, uh, the things that she was saying as this little, you know, possessed little girl, and said, I had no idea what those words even meant. Really? She says, all I knew was that I was in scary makeup and I was throwing up pea soup and stuff. Right. She says, I just thought it was a scary movie. She really didn't understand the whole thing about being possessed, you know, until later. Yeah, because because I've heard stories that, you know, people who have played these dark, sinister-type demonic movies, uh, you know, they were messed up for a lot of time afterwards. Yeah, you get caught up in a role. You get caught up in a character yeah. and, you know, and don't know how to let it go. In fact, Heath Ledger, yeah. who just died, said that he was so caught up in this dark character, he just played uh, Joker. Joker. Yeah. And he says that he really had a hard time getting out of this character. And so that's why he was hunkering down the sleeping pills. Well, he was, you know, he just, yeah, he said he was having a hard time sleeping because yeah, yeah. the character was so dark. I don't really, I can't blame it on that. No. But some of these actors take it so seriously, you know, their, their, their acting part, that I would imagine, yeah, I could see yeah. how it would be hard for them to get out. Well, and the opposite is also true. Uh, guys like Jim Caviezel or um, the guy who played uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, he's coming right. up in our uh, show. Teddy Neely. 
it's, yeah, Ted Neely, both of them are coming up on our show, and, you know, it's sort of the opposite thing, you know, you play, a lot of these guys who play Jesus have had some really kind of cool supernatural experiences, right? Yeah, which, Positive. Is, I mean, which is great, when you're playing that character, yeah. first of all, that would be a really daunting character. Oh. So much easier to play Herod than it is to play Jesus, you yeah. know, because first of all, being a Christian, I wouldn't know how to even approach playing Jesus. I'd be all right with my Messiah complex, I'd be <laughs> right in there. Yeah. Not a problem at all there. <laughs> well, you've got that down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got it right down. All right, let's finish with some real quick trivia questions. Most favorite Detroit Tiger? Uh, Al Kaline. Lion? Um, probably Joe Schmidt. Red Wing? Uh, Gordie Howe. Nice. Good answer, by the way. We can stay friends now. Count Chocula or Frankenberry? Uh, Chocula. <laughs> no doubt. Favorite memory of hanging out with ABBA in Australia in 1977? Uh, me thinking that the uh, the the crowd down in uh, the 15,000 people screaming up were yelling Alice, Alice when they were yelling ABBA, ABBA. <laughs> and then I went out there and I was the Pope, you know. I was like waving and everything. And then I realized, I looked up and there was ABBA on the oh, balcony above man, me. That is there was one guy down there going, Alice! You know, yeah. they stoned him. That is too stinking funny. Uh, favorite Pat Boone cover off his No More Mr. Nice Guy in a Metal Mood CD? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say Mr. Nice Guy. He did a good version of that. He did. Who's a better golfer? Tom Lehman, Steve Jones, Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, well, you got to go with the pros on that one, even though Samuel's pretty good. Smoking. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's really developed into a pretty good player. How's, uh, how's the book Alice Cooper Hates Golf? Uh, well, that book is out now. It's called uh, Golf Monster. Oh, yeah, okay. That's yeah, what we and, call it. And it's actually a pretty good uh, uh, version of how I became a Christian. I mean, I, I made sure that when I wrote the book, it was going to be about all the dirty laundry, how I got, became Alice and why, and everything. But I did want it to have the passage in there of what happened. What was the, what was the turning point? When did I sit down and say, I, I can't do this anymore on my own? And I don't even want to do this on my own. I, I'm, I'm giving this over to, to Christ. Hmm. You know, that was really, uh, that's in that. I, and I made sure that they, they didn't soft-pedal that. I don't know, man. You're an anomaly. You, you uh, <laughs> no, but I, I am. <laughs> I, know, I know. I appreciate your heart. It's so good to hear it. It comes through loud and clear. If anybody has any question about your uh, your authenticity, I think this interview has just severely shattered that. So, uh, Well, thank you. That, and that's... That's important, you know. I mean, I think that if, if people laughed as much as I did, uh, they would be. Uh, I'm going to end with a joke, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So two Jehovah Witnesses <laughs> knock at my door the other day, you know, and I, I said, "Well, come on in, sit down on the couch." And I sat down across from. Him. I said, "What do you guys want to talk about?" The guy said, "Gee, I don't know. We never got this far." <laughs> what do you get when you cross an atheist with a Jehovah's Witness? What? Someone that knocks on your door for no reason. <laughs> There you go, That's man. That's very good. There you go. You know why Italians don't like Jehovah's Witnesses? Why is that? Italians don't like any witnesses. <laughs> You're killing me. Absolutely killing me. Alice Cooper, thank you for joining us on the Drew Marshall Show. It has been an absolute blast, man. Thanks a lot, man. I'll see you when we get up to Toronto. Okay? I, I look forward to it. Okay, man. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. That was just wild. Alice Cooper. All right. Uh, we got to take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca. I'm just a